0: I'm going to replace all the postdocs with robots There'll be a pipetting robot, a gel-loading robot See you later, postdocs Welcome to Hello PhD, a podcast for scientists and the people who love them Today on the show, we explore a new labor law and how it's boosting postdoc pay (laughs) Wow! Wow Stay with us
1: We're back. This is Hello PhD episode 45. I'm Joshua Hall. And I'm Daniel Arneman. And we'll discuss the human side of science and life in the lab.
0: Josh, I am excited today. Did you hear that intro? I could tell that was... Uh, <laughs> I did my best Howard Dean impression. Do you remember that guy? I remember that. He got really excited, let out of animalistic yeah! <laughs> That sunk his still, campaign. It did. It still makes me laugh every time I hear it.
1: Yeah, you know, I'm pretty amused that uh, in this election cycle, the things that can be said that do not sink your campaign. But Howard Dean laughed kind of weird and yeah. going wah was the thing that, that <laughs> did ended your in. career. That yeah, did yeah, it, right. uh, Dan. Different times. In the intro, you mentioned labor. Speaking of labor, oh, what are you, where are you going with this, Josh? I don't, I don't get it. Well,
0: congratulations are in order. Thank you. Just had a new baby boy delivered. Yeah, that is fantastic news. It did delay the podcast a little bit um and i'm very very sleep deprived but the show must go on
1: yeah it actually is interesting we almost recorded the night that your wife went into labor that would have been interesting
0: that would have been really interesting i think that would have been a really bad idea i think that night i said i don't think i should come over and record i think that's probably a bad idea
1: i mean the good news would have been the show would have come out on time but the bad news would have been uh my wife
0: would have <laughs> given birth without me that would have been bad yeah,
1: well we we are super excited for you
0: daniel and uh Congrats to you. And we're glad to be back. We'll try and keep this thing together in the meantime. If I say stupid things, uh, you probably won't notice because that's every week. It's not the beer.
1: It's just sleep deprivation and right. beer because we are drinking beer this week. Also, in honor of your child, we're having the pony Rye Pale Ale because a pony is a baby horse.
0: So, Isn't in the that, baby theme, yeah. Pony-saurus. I love the illustration on the pony can. I think we need to put this on the web because it, oh, yeah. it is a like... Part horse, part dinosaur.
1: Yeah, it does say on the can, "Ride your dino pony hybrid responsibly,"
0: which I will do. Yeah, when Jurassic Park is real. Okay, so Dan, this is
1: not our usual pale ale. This is a rye pale ale. So uh, it's feeling very Belgian to me, and I don't know why. It originates from Germany. So let me just read the the marketing speak on the can. In the 15th century, Germany decreed that rye could only be used to make bread, not beer. In the 21st century, we declared, that's dumb, and made this rye pale ale with woody, citrusy, Americany notes. Take that, old German dudes. 15th century Germans. Yeah, so apparently the Germans, I don't know if you know your grains very well, Dan. I
0: know some. I have baked red before.
1: Well, so apparently rye is a little bit of a heartier grain as far as growing conditions. It can grow in sort of drier, less nutrient-rich soil than, say, a barley sounds or even like, a
0: wheat. Sounds like a useful plant to have on
1: hand. Yeah, I think so. So the Germans thought, hey, that would be awesome if, under poor growing conditions, if we could make beer out of rye. But apparently the beer was pretty terrible. So they, they decreed rye only good for bread, not for beer. But now craft brewers, of course, are starting to push the envelope and make more beer with rye. But it turns out most rye beers you have, including this one probably, usually don't go above 10% rye. Oh, because it would taste terrible? Well, apparently, way. one reason is because rye, kernels or rye, whatever, don't have berries. husks. Okay. Right? So, like, barley, and we brewed with beer, and Barley, are these sea? What are they? Barley? It's like, I,
0: I think of wheat berries, but they're kernels of something. Yeah, yeah barley. We'll, we'll
1: say kernels. We're not,
0: yeah. <laughs> This is
1: not our field. Uh, well, beer is sort of our field. But barley has these husks that actually, when you're making the mash, which, you know, is just the grain steeped in water... Allows the water to flow through, but the rye doesn't have these kernels, so I guess it really becomes this sort of gelatinous, more sludgy blob, sludge, and almost gets too. You're sweet. really selling it, Josh.
0: It sounds delicious. Let's have some. But that
1: would be 100% rye. Okay. So this is
0: probably a 10% rye. So what do you think of it, Dan? I, I enjoy it. It is good, and you got a tall can there. Is that a normal uh,
1: volume? This is a one pint can. This is a 16 ounce can, um, and apparently the rye tends to add a little bit of a spicy. Earthy note? Are you getting a little spice? A little subtle spice?
0: I don't know. I think we should move on to rye whiskey. See if it. Uh, you know, rye whiskey,
1: over. similar thing. It usually does add a little spicy character. I feel like in a rye whiskey, I can usually pull it out, but I don't know about this one, man. Next week on the show, rye whiskey.
0: <laughs> Someday we will. We'll run out of beers to we'll drink. Figure it out. All right, Dan. So some other people got good news this week, not just me.
1: They did, and I feel really good about the big news in science training world. <laughs> Is that a world? I don't know what world this would be in specifically, but the Department of Labor had a big announcement this week that I think some of our listeners, many of our listeners will probably find interesting.
0: And they should already know about it because we talked about it back in episode two.
1: That's right. I want to say we really blew the story wide open and maybe thanks are in order to the Hello PhD podcast, because we talked about this way back in episode two. And that would be July or August sometime. Uh, yeah, I think it was July, July 2015. Yeah, Dan, so this new rule is, in a, is a revision to the Fair Labor Standards Act. FLSA, Fulsa. FLSA? FLSA. Fla- yeah, sure. Uh, okay. FLSA. Okay. So, back in episode two, we talked about how the Department of Labor was considering making these revisions that would raise the salary threshold that would make you eligible for getting overtime pay from $455 per week to $913 per week. And so that's a yearly salary of $47,476 per year. So what this new labor law would mean is any employee who makes under $47,476 per year would have to be paid overtime pay if they worked more than 40 hours a week. And as we astutely pointed out... I've noticed some people that make less than that. Our postdocs are a great example. Our grad students aren't eligible because they're technically students, but our postdocs... They're docs. They're docs. After docs. Mm
0: -hmm, Exactly. Good etymology.
1: But they are certainly making, especially first and second year postdocs, less than $47,000 per year. And most postdocs I know work more than 40 hours per week. And so this new FLSA revision, estimates say this would now include about 40,000 junior
0: scientists, postdocs, who would now be eligible for overtime pay. Which nobody wants to pay them because then you'd have to actually keep track of how many hours they were in the lab, right? That's exactly right. And so so basically this has caused
1: a big splash in the biomedical research world, especially universities. And so if you're a university or really a lab who hires postdocs, how does this new labor law impact you? Well, there's a few things you could do. So if you're an employer of postdocs, you could just pay time and a half for
0: overtime work. Yes, but then again, you have to keep a time card and make sure that everybody fills it out and turns it in. And I've never been to a university lab where anybody did that. Uh, Actually, that's not true. I think the lab techs um, often filled out timesheets where I worked. Yep, often they do. They're typically
1: a different class of employee. But um, you can imagine it would really be a cultural shift and just a lot of bureaucratic work to have postdocs filling out time cards every day.
0: Yeah, and if you're incubating your... Gel or something, do you fill that out or are yeah. you work? I don't know.
1: You know, I'm trying to think what motivation this would give to me as a postdoc. If I knew I was going to make time and a half for hours over 40, I started the autoclave box <laughs> <the clock's> ticking. <laughs> I know I might have actually worked more hours knowing, oh, I'm yeah. in the money now. Sign me up for those overnight time points, exactly. <laughs> yeah, let me just hang out a little <laughs> like while. $25 an hour. Um, So, okay, that's one unlikely scenario. Another scenario would be to limit workers' hours to 40 per week. That's one thing that other employers um, in other sectors likely will do, is not allow their employees to work more than 40 hours a week.
0: Uh, I mean, this doesn't work. Like, oh, don't worry, my, my gel's in the secondary antibody. I'll just go home. Like, you can't do that. Yeah, totally unrealistic. And so the
1: most likely scenario here is the third option, and that is simply to raise postdoc salaries above the new threshold. So essentially that would mean raising postdoc salaries to the new minimum of $47,476 per year.
0: So you raise the salary and then you don't have to worry about all this timesheet nonsense. Exactly. Exactly. Makes more sense. Although that costs, well, it probably costs less money, right? Because to do all of those other things, there's the administrative overhead on top of the extra money you're going to have to dole out.
1: Sure. So it would certainly cost less than these other options given the new law, but it will cost more than the current situation. And so I looked up what the current postdoc salaries are. The current NIH stipulated salaries for brand new postdocs right now is $43,692. So this would represent approximately a $4,000 or 10% increase in postdoc pay. And
0: so, Which I don't know what grad students are being paid right now. But that is probably not a lot more. It's not triple or double or something. Yeah. So one thing I actually looked into, Dan,
1: because I was curious about that point, was what has happened to postdoc pay compared to
0: graduate student pay over the years? I am extremely curious. We used to, I mean, when we started, I think we started at 18,000, but that was a 1,000 years ago. <laughs> well, it seems
1: like a 1,000 years ago. In fact, it was 2002. Okay. So 14 years ago. and. Again, this were heady days. (laughs) They were. Uh, This was not a nationwide study that I'm citing here. I'm purely citing what I know, and that is the salaries of grad students and postdocs at our institution. And so, Dan, you're pretty close. When we started grad school in 2002, our stipend was $18,500 a year. Ooh, that $500 went a long way. It did, it did. Beer money. Nowadays, in 2016, grad students at UNC are being paid $29,000 a year. Okay, pretty significant bump. Yeah, that represents a 57% increase over the last 14 years. That's pretty big.
0: Yeah, it it, it seems like, and, and while we were there, I think it increased Pretty significantly. I mean, in the five years I was there, by the time I left, we were making twenty four or twenty five.
1: Yeah, I think we've got a three thousand dollars raise, like between years one and two.
0: I just I used to go home from my lab (laughs) and just like roll around in piles of money. It was so good. I was like Scrooge McDuck. Yeah, we
1: moved up from ramen to Applebee's to top ramen, (laughs) top ramen. Uh, So anyway, Dan, in that same time period in two thousand two, the starting postdoc pay was around thirty three thousand. And nowadays, the postdocs start at 43,700, which is a 32% increase. 32% is less than 57%. Did you notice that? It is less and substantially less than that is a 25% less of an increase. So yeah, so this is one of the things that a lot of the proponents for including postdocs in this labor law have cited. And that is postdoc pay certainly is not kept up with graduate student pay. And then really in the last five to seven years, it's been pretty flat.
0: Now, is, I mean, is anybody actually paying attention to postdocs? Is anybody at the national level, do they know what a postdoc is and do they care? Well, certainly at the NIH level, people are very and aware of what... Consider post- that national. And they're the ones determining what pay people are getting anyway.
1: Yeah, and and this is what kind I thought was... Standards. Well, this is what I thought was really cool when this... When this law came out, and keep in mind, Dan, this new law, this has to do with workers across the board in the United States. Yeah, this States, is not, not a just specific a, postdoc issue. Yeah, but right after this sort of came out, in Huffington Post, there was an opinion article by Francis Collins and Thomas Perez. And these are not just two jokers like me and you who happen to have an opinion on this. Do you know who these guys are? Um, I assume they're listeners to the podcast. I'm certain they are that. But in addition to that, Francis Collins happens to be the director of the NIH. Yes. And Thomas Perez is the Secretary of Labor. Excellent. So they sound like people that could actually make some decisions. Yeah, these, these are the big guys. And so what they put out there was, I guess, being pro-raising postdoc salary. And so their position was that postdoc salary certainly deserves being raised to this new threshold. Uh, one of the things that they, they said in their article, biomedical science by its very nature is not work that neatly falls into hourly units or shifts. So from our vantage point, it seems that the only option consistent with the professional nature of scientific work is to increase salaries above the threshold. And actually, Dan, do you remember back in episode 11? I don't. (laughs) Should I? Let me refresh your memory. That's where we talked about the eight and a half ways to improve biomedical research, right?
0: I know the title. I don't know the numbers. Yeah.
1: So that's the one where we looked at this paper uh, called Toward a Sustainable Biomedical Workforce. And in that one, the recommendation from, you know, when they collated lots of different I guess, analyses on the biomedical workforce was they recommended increasing postdoc pay to $50,000.
0: Yeah, so we're still a little shy of that, but it's much closer. Yeah, absolutely. And so NIH and
1: Francis Collins, what he stipulated was NIH will be increasing the postdoc stipends for individuals who are funded off of these National Research Service Awards or NRSAs. Will immediately go up to the new department of labor minimums.
0: So that doesn't affect somebody with an ro one or paid out of other types of grants. It's just that NRSA It's just NRSA, which are awards to postdocs. Who writes these acronyms? If this were the military, this would be like the dream <laughs> of a better tomorrow act. And each letter would stand for something. I have a This dream. is like Fulsa Nursa. Yeah. No idea. That's true. <laughs> um,
1: Sounds like MRSA, which is much worse. <laughs> you would rather have a nurse than a MRSA. I, I agree with you. Yes, that is true. So anyway, uh, Dr. Collins and Thomas Perez conclude their article. Our nation should embrace the fact that increasing the salary threshold for postdocs represents an opportunity to encourage more of our brightest young minds to consider choosing careers in science. Biomedical science has never been more exciting or promising than now. And we need to do all we can to support the next generation of scientists.
0: Yeah, I actually read this article and I enjoyed it. It was in uh, the Huffington Post. And what I particularly appreciated was right at the beginning where they try to say what a postdoc is. You ever read an article where you have background <laughs> information and, and you know that it's being written for a lay audience they may not know? And so hearing them describe, they're like a postdoc is like a junior scientist. They're not quite, they've got a, a doctoral degree, but they're not exactly ready to start their own lab. It's like, you know, explain it to your five-year-old. Explain like I'm five. Exactly. What is a postdoc? What is a postdoc? What even is that?
1: I bet that would generate some pretty amusing Reddit responses. I think so too. What is a
0: postdoc? Well, they they tackled it.
1: Yeah, they did. So, they, you know, they brought up some some interesting points of view. And, you know, obviously the work doesn't fall neatly into hourly units. So, you know, the limiting to 40 hours a week isn't enough. But I guess as a counterpoint, I was looking at a, a Nature response, I guess a Nature News article response to this labor new labor initiative. And let me just quote this. As postdoctoral researchers become more expensive, laboratories may begin to cut back on the number they hire. And so um, this Georgia State University economist was pointing out that one result of this new
0: labor law could just be fewer postdocs i mean this makes a lot of sense if your grant is a certain size and you have to pay more for each person on there and and the people are what cost money in a grant um, Mm -hmm. effectively you just can't afford as many people it makes sense
1: yeah and what was interesting about this nature and we'll link both of these in the show notes but um, this nature news article was that despite the fact that a outcome could be fewer postdocs. This economist argued that that could be just what the biomedical environment needs. And so... Oh, nobody disagreed that it's going to happen, but it might be a good thing? Well, so I guess what, what she was saying was that a result could be that there are fewer postdocs, but that actually might not be a bad thing. Uh, because apparently, Nature did a, t- a poll of 20,000 readers in 2015 and found that scientists were eager to see more permanent staff scientist positions created, and but, so.
0: But why would you believe that there'd be more permanent staff scientist positions? Like, what would what would lead to that outcome as opposed to just hiring fewer people overall?
1: Well, I guess the idea has been people we've known for a while, and this was in that sustainability of biomedical research episode eleven, episode eleven. Also, this kind of vacuum that exists where. There are a number of people who would like to have these staff scientist positions beyond their postdoc, but they just don't exist. And so um, this article indicates that that change, more staff scientist positions, has been difficult to implement while postdoc salaries remain low.
0: Uh, I see. So as long as I classify somebody as a postdoc, I may as well pay them a smaller amount. And no matter what job you're doing, I can give you this title and now I don't have to pay you as much. Whereas if you're going to get the same amount as a staff scientist, I'll just hire you as a staff scientist, and then you don't have to move on after three years.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And so to quote this article, if postdoc salaries were raised, it would make the relative cost of postdocs more expensive and make staff scientists relatively cheaper. Postdocs have been seen as a cheap substitute. You know, I guess... It's it, interesting. I'd have to see how it played out. Yeah, I think a lo- obviously a lot of this is total speculation at this point. Um, although I would have to think take-home messages Postdoc salaries, I believe, have been too low for a while. Yep. If you think about a postdoc, this is a highly trained individual uh, working in a highly technical environment. And, you know, with a starting salary in the low 40s, I would have to think compared to other high tech industries,
0: it's kind of a joke. Do you want me to tell you my prediction? What's your prediction, Dan? In every other industry where labor becomes very expensive, this is happening in fast food right now as minimum wage goes up. It's happened in every manufacturing industry. Robots. (laughs) I'm going to replace all the postdocs with robots. There'll be a pipetting robot, a gel loading robot, a PC. There already is a PCR robot. That's true. Uh we used to see have you later, that, postdocs. We used to have one,
1: and it broke all the time.
0: Yeah, well, that's fine. <laughs> then you can hire a guy to fix that for much less than you're paying your postdoc, or probably much more. Who knows? Robot postdocs. Somebody make a fortune off of that. That'd
1: oh, be so good. Yeah. Uh, so I, I'm really interested to see how this plays out. I think in the short term, though, postdocs would have to be celebrating um, at the thought of getting raised. And one thing I haven't mentioned, Dan, uh, this new law goes into effect on December
0: 1st. Okay, just in time to be rolled back after the election. <laughs> <laughs> there you have it. <laughs> I'm, I don't know why I'm so pessimistic today. It's because you're sleep deprived. is it optimism? I don't. I'm, I'm looking forward to the robot postdoc future. <laughs> um, yeah, so... Sorry, okay. Josh. I'm throwing you way off. You know, Dan, one, one
1: last thing I want to say, though, is this postdoc salary thing. Just thinking about, and we talk a lot on the show, about kind of the mental health of of people and just people's own sense of self-worth. I would I would think that to some degree, this relatively low pay for postdocs has some kind of significant psychological impact. You know, you've spent a long time getting your PhD. You know, you're trying to get your career off the ground. We heard some of this back when we interviewed postdocs. And there you are feeling like you're in this holding pattern of your career, Pay is low it 's hard to even really support a family if you're starting a family on this postdoc salary, and it can be really frustrating in your mid or late thirties and you feel like your your salary's stagnating so maybe increases like this will give postdocs a little bit of a mental boost that they need also
0: yeah scientists are economical creatures as well, and if i 'm looking at two jobs, one in academia as a postdoc and one maybe in industry. You know, there's some percentage that are going to take the higher-paying job, even if it's not exactly what they want to do. And mm-hmm. so, I'm sure we are losing great scientists from academia, um, and I guess that benefits industry.
1: Yeah you know, one one last thing. I'm a big fan of Francis Collins. I think he's a cool dude. Uh, but I would push back a little bit on. I think it's a little Pollyanna to say that this bump in post starting postdoc salary of four thousand dollars. Is going to represent an increase in encouraging more of the brightest minds to choose a career in science. I have a hard time imagining that that's enough of a carrot to say. You mean after I'll seven years of training, I can make forty-seven thousand yeah. instead yeah. of forty-four thousand. I think that's a little yeah. overstating things. Kids will
0: dream of it. <laughs> be amazing.
1: So anyway, Dan, uh, I think it's interesting. We'll keep an eye on it. Maybe fifty episodes from now, uh, we will revisit it again for a third time. Maybe. You know, that'll be just in time for once it comes into effect and all the
0: robots have taken over by that I'm going to start working on the robot (laughs) postdoc and you're going to eat your words. (laughs) Okay. All right, Dan. So what kind of word origin do you have for us this week? We've got the etymology puzzle. So the clue last week was the third in the leprosy trilogy, as I am now referring to it, (laughs) just because I said that. Uh, The pale white skin of leprosy is caused by bacteria, not this laundry room chemical used for whitening and disinfection. Now, I've... I've gotten some feedback that this was even too easy.
1: Yeah, I think I think the bar has, has slipped a little too low on this one, Dan. And my wife listened to this, and, and her first comment was,
0: what is Dan doing? That's way too easy. Well, I didn't see her submit an answer, Josh. Well, that, I'm just trying to get more people to play.
1: Oh, is she eligible? I could use a name. Certainly, why course. not?
0: Of course. <laughs> okay. So the answer, if you haven't guessed it yet, was bleach. Um, and and as I was researching leprosy, I found all these other related words. So this uh, comes from an old English noun, blaise which meant leprosy, but even earlier uh, it referred to paleness. Now I looked up where that word came from. Because you know, etymologies are always, you can keep going back and back Going and down back. the etymology rabbit hole. Exactly. Um, and even further back, it um, was a Proto-Indo-European word. I'm sorry, you said it, Proto-Euro-Indo? Indo-European. P-I-E is how it's always abbreviated if you like etymologies. Yeah. Um, but it meant to shine, flash, or burn. And so it was a word meaning like the brightness of light and then it came to mean paleness and all these other things it also gave rise to the word black because something burns and you get black you also get bright Ooh. black and bleach related words who would have thought i didn't that's why i just told you
1: speaking of bright white dan uh, i went to the beach last week and uh, you know it's early in the season when i when i peeled my shirt off for the first time dan the the brightness leprous? of leprous? Yes. <laughs> of that white skin. Yeah, that. <laughs> I'll blind
0: it all within view. I'm glad I was not there. Uh, well, let me give you the clue for next week, Josh. All right, let's hear it. It's possible to get this type of infection in the very building where they care for diseases. Read it one more time. It's possible to get this type of infection in the very building where they care for diseases. Remember, I'm looking for a scientific word described by the clue, and once you get it, you'll find that the literal meaning of that science word is a phrase in the clue itself. If you think you know the answer, email to puzzle at hellophd.com. I'll randomly select a winner from all of the correct responses and send the lucky puzzler an Amazon gift card.
1: Dan, did we have a winner for this last week? We sure did. It was Sahar from Stanford. All right, Sahar. Great. Thanks for playing. All right, Dan. It's been a great show. I'm going to bed. <laughs> Get
0: some sleep. Sleep while the baby sleeps. That's what they always tell you. And
1: hey, thanks for coming out to record a show with a less than one week old child at home you should thank my wife <laughs> thanks to your wife i know the listeners appreciate it because they could not get by without their hello phd i week. think
0: it's actually good to take little breaks of sanity to talk to an adult and not just change diapers yeah
1: i know good and well while you're here dan
0: yeah exactly right
1: and if you have a topic you would like to discuss on the show we would love to hear it you can email us podcast at hello you can tweet at us at hello PhD, or you can contact us on the facebook page We'd love it if you leave us a rating on iTunes. That helps people find the show. Also,
0: telling a friend helps people find the show. So we'd love it if you do that too. You know what's even better? Telling two friends. Or three. Or have a couple kids and make them download the show. It really boosts our ratings. We will
1: grow our audience one way or the other.
0: That's right. (laughs) Josh, we'll see you next week. All
1: right. See you next week.
0: to new hampshire tom harkin we're going to south carolina and oklahoma and arizona and north dakota and new mexico we're going to california and texas and new york and we're going to south dakota and oregon and washington and michigan and then we're going to washington dc to take back the white house